Hi, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here again with another Shizmid podcast. Welcome back to our loyal listeners. Today, we're going to be interviewing Brent Westra, who is Marketing Segment Manager for Mayo Medical Laboratories, and also Andy Toflin, who is also Marketing Segment Manager for Mayo Medical Laboratories. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. We're excited to have you. First of all, our listeners slash readers may not be that familiar with Mayo Medical Laboratories. Tell us what Mayo Medical Laboratories is, how it all works together, and really what your mission is. We are the reference laboratory arm of Mayo Clinics. We work with laboratory tests for other healthcare institutions. Institutions around the U.S. and around the world can send lab tests to us here in Rochester, Minnesota, and you know have our facilities run them, get our interpretations, and, and have them the results and interpretations come back to them. We serve about 4.5 million patients worldwide each year. 70 countries serve monthly. About 23 million tests performed annually. Launch about 150 new tests each year, and you know offer a, a very vast menu of, of about 3,000 plus tests and pathology services. Um, and a lot of that is obviously because we have the very large clinical practice of Mayo Clinic here. You know we are we're doing a lot of those those tests anyways, and pairs up well for us to be able to offer some of those services externally as well. So organizationally, we're part of Mayo Clinic in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. We have about 61 subspecialty laboratories that support the whole spectrum of testing for the Mayo Clinic group practice and for our clients, ranging from point-of-care testing on Mayo 1, our helicopter, to whole exome sequencing, um, and really everything in between. So it's one of the more sophisticated laboratories in the world. Give us a sense of maybe how Mayo Medical Laboratories positions itself in the market vis-a-vis other laboratories. Are you used just for the tough cases or for just as a lot of different hospitals or doctors outsource? Sort of how does that work together? And then tell us also about who your ultimate customers are. We believe very strongly that laboratory testing should be done as close to the patient as possible. So we actually help our clients, our hospital partners, launch tests. So if they're sending us a lot of say, a vitamin D test, we'll actually work with them so they can bring that test up in-house. We really feel strongly in community-based medicine um, and really have a lot of uh, business models and support programs that help support that activity. We have about 4,000 clients worldwide, and they really range from very large academic medical centers to health systems down to specialty practices. But we really want to make sure that we're getting about 3 to 5% of the testing um, that cannot be done in a local community. So that's either they don't have the equipment or the expertise or really the caseload to necessitate having that testing performed. Only in those rare cases do we have them send it to us. Your topic at Shizmet is designing dynamic digital communication for a changing healthcare market. Give us the thumbnail sketch of what your talk is going to be about. So it's a case study of sorts about one of the big changes that we underwent here five years ago. Uh, Andy and I were wanting to kind of add some flexibility to our website, which had some fairly rigid update timelines, different scheduling things, and just we needed something a little bit more flexible to get news out there in a more quick and efficient manner. And so one of the things that we really wanted to do was was start a blog that we could have have this information on. And we asked the powers that be if we could start a blog and, and we're promptly told no. But then we asked, well, okay, what if we started a real-time news site, which was a different name for the blog that we would be running, and we were given approval. That was uh, kind of the the very roots of it. And and 
again, it was, it was more just for flexibility, you know, being able to put up changes in regards to shipping schedules, promote some of our content that we that we had out there, and again, in, engage on some social platforms and just do so in a much more flexible way than we had been able to with, with our previous homepage, which was a static manually updated page. So even though it was built to look like a feed, each feature box was manually coded, manually put in there, and, and you can imagine some of the, the errors that could lead to and, and just the inefficiencies that, that that generated. So we just wanted something to be able to get our content out there a little bit more efficiently. About a year ago, had a dear colleague and friend move on to another job at Mayo, and we, as a marketing team, inherited a publication called The Communicate, which we have actually been publishing since 1971, and it's been a communication tool for new tests, science updates, service updates, things like that. And she was a, a wonderful editor of that, and when she left, we either needed to try to figure out how to do what she did or really bring it back with some new life and a, a new approach. That event of, of her leaving that really made us think much more broadly about what um, this content hub could be. So it, uh, our talk is really going to go over kind of the journey that we went through to figure out what features, design, things like that that we wanted to have um, for our for our web platform and um, you know some of the uh, uh, inspirations for it, some of the things that we wanted to accomplish with it, and then the actual design process that we went through. Um, and then we'll end with seven key areas of content marketing that our Insights platform really facilitates. Yeah, right. and, and to add one, one just briefly small thing to that, you know, as part of that with with her departure, then, you know, the, the communique, as Andy mentioned, had been around for a long time, and it had a print budget and a mailing budget. And so we made the proposal to change that to an, an online platform, an online hub. And then the presentation is really the story about, you know, what we did, what decisions we were faced with, what lessons we learned, and, and that sort of thing throughout the process of, of all of a sudden having you know, some options and the, and the opportunity to refresh what was a, a, a company blog that really just Andy and I were, were upkeeping and doing all the content for to really expand it and add new functionality and, and just where that, where that journey took us. In talking about this, it sounds like the impetus at the beginning of this was really operational, just ease of getting things done. Is that correct? In other words, just trying to make any changes to your website at all was probably difficult. And then it evolved to be much more about content marketing. Am I hearing you correctly on that? The listeners of this podcast are going to relate to IT is not always your friend, um, <laughs> and they're not always the most uh, efficient and bend over backwards. But we realize that there's a role um, that they play and that we need to make sure that we're collaborative with them and we have a mutual understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. So we really partnered with our IT staff and our web staff and made sure that we were all on the same page of what we were trying to accomplish with it. But yeah, it, it did start off with um, we just wanted a easy way to publish marketing content, and it really kind of exploded on us where um, the content marketing uh, approach that our team has generated over the last three years was really just you know probably five people um, on our team. We're, we're really excited about what we have today. You guys now have a, a content management platform, so you're able to update things quickly and easily. 
I'm looking through your Insights blog now. You guys are putting out a ton of content. Is that those are all internal writers, or are you looking for uh, internal experts? How do you get all this content together? And do you guys have a content calendar? How does that process work for you? Yeah, we started all all internally, and then as uh, again as, as part of the the transfer over of the communique, we we decided to make the change from a, a really deep, in-depth, peer-reviewed style article and go to more of a feature style article. So the communique as it stands now is, is a different kind of article where it is a, a longer feature anywhere. I mean, they're usually right around 2,000 words or so it's about different areas or, or, or different tests. And so for that, we did start to reach out to some additional writers that weren't full-time staff here, but had, you know, history of doing healthcare feature writing and brought them in to do some of those. But by and large, most of them, yeah, are still done by the handful of us internally. To answer your other question about editorial, yeah, you know, each, we kind of kick off each week, Monday morning with our, our editorial meeting, which is something that's very, very important as you start to scale up the amount of content that you're running through. And so each Monday begins with, what did we publish last week? What's on the docket for this week? When do we want it to go? How are we orchestrating? How are we coordinating it? Um, you know, what's going out next week? Those sorts of things. So a lot of discussion from the the core team, if you will, about staging the the different content. Because yeah, we we do have a lot of stuff that we're putting through there. You know, each day of the week has its own weekly feature that goes out in addition to all of the other content that we're putting out there. And one thing that really grew out of this that we're really excited about and really were blown away was that uh, we started getting our colleagues in laboratory medicine or um, different functional areas of, at Mayo that, that saw what we were doing and asked if they could be part of the platform. So we launched um, what we call Perspectives, and those are written by our staff throughout the department. So we have a systems engineer, we have a safety officer, we have um, our um, medical or medical lab science students. We have a transfusion tech that likes to draw cartoons. So she um, has launched transfusion tunes. So we have about one or two unique perspectives from various areas of, of the uh, department published every week. And we're really, we're adding more and more to it each passing month, but it, it's become a really fun platform for our colleagues and, and peers to uh, communicate their passion and, and really pass on what makes Mayo Clinic so special. A lot of times it can be, I'm sure, a relationship builder with different key people as well. By them giving a chance to give input, it's good for your readers, but it's also good for them and your relationship. Yeah, it really has been. I mean, and especially once, you know, again, if, if they see their colleagues or other people publishing, you know, there there is a little bit of competitiveness to it, a good form of it, if you will. But, you know, saying that they've got this platform, if they want to take the time to, to put something together, we will put it out there for them. So it, it's been nice to see the, the adoption that way, you know, just because it, it definitely, like I said before, when we first started, you know, getting anybody other than Andy and myself to put content out there. You know, maybe we had one or one other, two other people that would, would pitch in as well. It, you know, it definitely took time for the institution to begin seeing the value in it. Tell me about your target audience for the articles and the insights and the different things that you're doing. Is it the same target audience as your customers? Is it meant to be broader? Who are you really targeting? 
Our traditional model was business-to-business communication. Our laboratory business to other laboratories within healthcare organizations around the world. So it's really been that lab-to-lab relationship that we definitely continue to nurture and try to reach that target audience through insights. But we've diversified much more since then where we realize we have to talk to the C-suite. We have to talk to supply chain. We have to talk to insurance and payers. We need to talk to the clinicians that are actually ordering the tests from the lab um, and specialty practices throughout a community. A lot of our content will reach most of those audiences, but there's some webinars and things that bring much more detail to. They're really targeted to specialists, very scientific, the most advanced medical practice approaches. So really, we try to reach a lot of different audiences with some of this very specific content. So this is really more of a platform that you can use for various different audiences. Like you mentioned, webinars. So if you're going after a subspecialist with a specific kind of test, you can promote that to them directly. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. As we talked about, you know, with 3,000 different services that we can offer in our, in our test menu, you know, our, our content needs to be pretty diverse as well. But yeah, there's anything from institutional, operationally based articles all the way down to, yeah, very narrow and deep niche specialty testing webinars about different different conditions that perhaps one of our neurologists would give that webinar. You know, a lot of it, it can be about how to how to use complex testing, when you should order it, uh, just as importantly, when you should not order these types of tests, and how they guide clinical care. We have the saying that um, our in our marketing solar system, Insights is the Sun. Really, all of our platforms will leverage this. So whether it is our sales staff downloading PDFs of print materials, whether it's people watching education programs, getting emails, or interacting with us on social media, everything really comes back to this platform. How do you promote to these specialized audiences? Are you using email? Do you just have your blog followers and that's all? Do you go outside with social media? How do you find specific audiences that may be more specialized than your general reader or listener? We have a really multimedia approach to this where we do email and another shocking tidbit that your listeners will be uh, surprised by, email's not the most effective medium for us anymore. It used to be really the only way to communicate, but really we leverage social media in, in the targeting ability of especially Facebook and Twitter are really our big platforms. We are able to either through organic views or through um, paid targeting views, really push the content in our videos and our podcasts. All of those different things that are hosted on the blog um, are promoted through those mediums. And Instagram is also growing nicely for us as well. So uh, let's translate this now to, you know, you have a lot of hospitals that'll be uh, attending Shizmet typically, and they're usually targeting more B2C. What are some of the concepts that maybe compare and contrast some of the concepts that will directly apply to what they're doing and some things that might be unique to what you're doing? And also maybe some of the takeaways that you're hoping the, the people who view your session will be able to walk away with. One of the the first things that Andy touched on a little bit when he was talking about IT is to kind of decouple the editorial web versus the operational web. And so the operational web, you've got, you know, HIPAA compliance, highly secure, you know, those sorts of things where the IT is imperative. But then you've also got your content and the editorial side of things. And so, you know, I I think one of the lessons that we learned is that as we went through and kind of divided that up, 
we were able to get a, a lot more flexibility because, you know, they realized that there wasn't the possibility of patient information or anything like that inadvertently woven into what we were doing and, and we were just doing content. So, you know, I, I'm thinking with any hospital, with any organization, there's going to be that element of security that's going to be needed. But, you know, truthfully for the content, the goal is the opposite. You want as, as many people to see that as possible. And so, you know, it's a very different mindset. So being able to borrow a Gwyneth Paltrow term and say consciously uncouple those two was quite helpful. We're very aware that our blog reaches patients as well. And consumers think there, the recent Pew research had 83% of um, internet users seeking healthcare information online. And we realized lab tests are really essential to that clinical care Something like 80% of the objective data in a medical record is lab. So patients really want to know what tests are available and what the interpretation is. With the launch of uh, patient portals and health records, patients will get a test result before maybe their clinician, and they'll go out and they will look for any information they can about that test result. Um, so we realize while they're not our primary target audience, we need to make sure that we can communicate effectively to them and make sure that they realize that their healthcare provider is the best person to help them through this. I bet the tech people were probably, in a way, excited when they realized they could let you liberate yourself for a lot of the work they were doing. Is that true? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and one of the other things that we were able to do then is to set up feeds where it fed back into the homepage and certain other pages of our main website. So really, that, that took a little bit of, of pressure off them because they used to have to update and maintain those pages. And then as soon as we changed that just to use the WordPress feed to populate that, that all of a sudden became pages that they, they didn't need to worry about because we were, we were controlling the feed from the other side. So I do think so that it did help from that standpoint where a lot of the content maintenance, they were just no longer needed to do that. Brent talked about the conscious uncoupling. Um, it really came down to making sure that everyone involved knew what their expertise was and the role that they were going to play moving forward. So we really wanted to make sure that our web team was given the opportunity to really produce the best platform for clients to interact with us, do business with us, to access our test catalog. And we really need them to focus on making sure that we're easy to do business with, not updating our content. As we begin to wrap up here, a couple of questions that are maybe interrelated or maybe separate, I'm not sure, but what were the biggest surprises and what were some of the biggest obstacles? And again, those may be separate questions and they may be interrelated, I don't know, but that's usually insightful to people to help understand the kinds of obstacles you had to go through and things that might have been surprising to you along the way. So when we when we initially announced this, we, we kind of gave ourselves a date that we thought we'd be able to pull it together and give ourselves plenty of time. And, and from, a, from a content standpoint to, you know, redesign the platform, you know, get everything in place, get the content wrapped up. That timeline was easily attainable. But then once we got further along, there was kind of a lot of other, you know, some discussions with our legal department about what we were doing. Again, discussions with, with IT um, and just other internal institutional items. And so I, I think probably as, as we were excited and, and from having done web design and, and having done content, we kind of committed to a date based on a content timeline. And in retrospect, we probably should have gotten a little further down the path before we committed to a date. 
I, I guess another key point that I think we ran into earlier is we really wanted it to be a group project where everyone was involved, everyone had a say, and things this complicated can't be a group project. You need buy-in from the group, you need a lot of diverse thought and expertise, but at the end of the day, you need to have a small and empowered team to actually get the job done shifting gears from are we all happy with this to this is what the, the small group came up with what's your reaction um really got us going so we could hit the second date that we uh, uh, eventually went to one of the things that i think about quite a bit is you know once we were able to get a little bit of budget we were all of a sudden faced with make versus buy decisions you know what what are we good at making ourselves you know what is outside of our area that would be a good per, good decision to buy that expertise and so then as we as we went through that process just finding somebody to work with that that can help make our vision uh, a reality just because we know our, our business very well and being able to to find somebody that can help you know take wireframes that we work with a graphic designer in and, and kind of make those was a reality was something that helped us stay true to what it was that we wanted to do. Any parting thoughts before I let you guys go? Any any things that you think that it's really important that our listeners will either walk away with your session from or even whether they can make it or not that you just think is good advice going forward? The final thought would be, you know your business the best. Um, so there are a lot of marketing companies, a lot of web development. They're really going to try to push you towards the vision that they want to be part of. And you really need to be true to what you're trying to accomplish, what your organization's culture and DNA is, um, and really make sure you find the right partner to help you make that vision a reality. Partnering with the right people is can be certainly challenging to discern who's who, but if project success and failure can often rely on that, right? If you're the wrong person, you can find yourself six months on the path and you made a mistake and now you just lost six months. So couldn't agree more. In our case, you know, again, back to lessons learned, when you've committed to a launch date, losing that time would be uh, would be unfortunate. So, yes. <laughs> I like that. That's the understatement of the week. One more final thought would be um, don't be afraid to try new things um, or adjust the course. When we started, um, we really thought video was king, and video is king, but the buy-in from our organization was not great. We had a lot of people that said, I want to help, but I really don't want to be on camera. So about six months ago, we made a shift to audio, to podcasting. Um, we still create online videos that have a wavelength generator so it can play in line on, on social media platforms. But just making that slight shift to an audio approach, our buy-in skyrocketed, and there were people that would never have walked in front of a camera for us that are more than happy to sit down with us now. That's an excellent insight. That's funny. The We love a podcast, obviously, we're doing one. And I was curious, because we talked offline at the opening. We typically use the conference line and use the recording for that, but it sounds like you have a different technology. What are you using for your technology for your podcast? We have a, uh, a field recorder, uh, H4 Zoom, and two um, microphones with XLR cables uh, that will show up to a physician's office, use a mic stands and, and sit across the table from each other and talk. Um, we also have invested in some U.S. headsets that we'll send to people that we're interviewing remotely as well. This stuff is so much fun for us, and our, our listeners love it too. We really appreciate you being here. For those of our listeners who will be actually at Shizmet, do you guys remember the date and time of your session, where it is? Wednesday, September 27th from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. 
thank you guys for participating. It's been very educational. I've learned a lot, and I appreciate your time.